Sorry, Brian, what was it? Romans? Verses 12, 1 to 8. Uh, Romans 12, verses 1 to 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, through many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ accordingly to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Well, thanks very much. And uh, it's been so nice to meet you all. It's a real pleasure and privilege to be here and um, to meet some people and um, reconnect with some others. And what a privilege to preach to you. I don't take that lightly. As someone who's very rarely invited ever back to preach, <laughs> I'll make the most of it the first time. Now, last night we were thinking about how if we're to live for God with all our lives, we need to see things like God does in all of our lives. God isn't so much in the business of telling us what specifically to do in each situation that we face. Rather, the way he works is to tell us a few very big things that will so revolutionize our approach to life that it will put us on a very different track to our peers. And then, of course, the great battle is, will we listen to him and be shaped by those principles? This is where I suggest we really need the prayer in guidance, not so much in the discovering of God's will. No, the things that he most cares about are the things that he most talks about in the scriptures, and they are perfectly obvious. Where we need the most prayer is in the actual doing of it, once we've found out what it is, in the trusting and obeying of his will. And in this talk, we're going to turn our attention to perhaps the biggest mindset shift of all, to something that he cares about very, very much. For us, it will be one of the chief ways that we worship God will be to get our head around this thing that I'm going to be talking about, a principle that unlocks a whole lifetime's worth of radical changes. It is the one area Paul thought his first readers most needed their minds renewed in, and I think it survives the test of time. Let me reread verses 3 to 5, and you see if you can work out for yourself what is the one big thing that we need to see as God does. 
So verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. How can I worship God with all my life? In general, I need my mind renewed. But in particular, according to Paul, I need to learn that I am a member of a body. If you have the talk outlines in front of you and you have a pen in your hand, write that in big letters right across the page. If you prefer to use a phone or something like that, type it up in such a way that on prayer made or whatever you use, you can see that every day for the next few weeks. I am a member of a body. It is not something that comes naturally to us to think that way. It is, we need a supernatural renewing of our minds to do so. That body is the local church. That's clear from the way that Paul uses the imagery here, also in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, and elsewhere. All the applications that flow from this principle are directed at a local church level. It is a deeply radical description of us that you who are Christians at All Saints Little Shelford are not just ships in the same harbour, all having found refuge in Christ. You're not just trees in the same forest, all sharing some similarities from knowing Christ. You're not just members of a club who, having paid your subs, have both rights and responsibilities until such time as you choose to resign. No, you aren't members of a club, but a body. And that's a level of integration of a completely different order, isn't it? Verses 3 to 8 tease out at least three ramifications. If I'm a member of a body, it means, first of all, that we're all equal. Verse 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith, literally. Paul says that we are to assess ourselves and compare where we rank with others on the basis of Faith alone, that's the way of doing it with sober judgment. In other words, correctly, on the basis of faith. What is faith? Well, if I uh, take my watch off and I give it to Royce, were I to give my watch to Royce and he reaches out a hand and, and, and takes it, that's... Faith, coronavirus notwithstanding, notice. He took it. Except that in our case, we're receiving not from me, but God, and not a watch, but the gospel, that changed view of God towards us, us towards him, us towards the world, in short, salvation. But that faith that saves us, that we receive, is no more an achievement of ours than it was of Royston's to receive the watch. You wouldn't say of Royston, uh, I shouldn't have thought particularly, oh, Royston, I 
Wish I had your faith. I wish I was born that way. You might think he was very reckless to take it with all the germs that are on us, but you wouldn't say that, would you? Nor would you would this be something that he would particularly boast in. After all, all he has done is receive. And so with our faith. And here's the point. As we think of ourselves in relation to other believers, that faith is to be the only measuring stick that we use. That we are sinners saved by mercy. They are sinners saved by mercy. And therefore, in this body, we are all equal. Now, no other measuring stick yields that result of equality. I think we probably know that we're all inclined to use other measuring sticks all the time. Our Facebook account, who has the most friends? Our bank account, who do we think has the most money? Our clothes, what brand? Our accent, what region? Our lives, how hard? And what we all tend to do, of course, is to pick a measuring stick that makes us measure higher than other people. That's a rather gratifying experience often, isn't it? Even when we use a measure that puts us lower than other people, perhaps we want to say, well, I have had a a tough time, I'm so bad, I'm not good looking, I'm whatever, whatever. There's a, in a perverse kind of way, that also can be used by us to persuade ourselves that, well, we're different from other people, we're special, we're a special case, the, the normal rules don't apply, we're in a category of our own. And so as we use these different measuring sticks, we all begin to judge one another, to look down on one another, to speak critically of one another as not measuring up, you see. This is a big reason why Paul wrote this letter of Romans. The moment we begin to do that, we cannot actually do anything for God that actually pleases him. We cannot live a life of worship until we have got our head around this basic idea that we're all equal in faith and that the GCSE results we get just do not matter. They're probably not called GCSEs anymore, are they? I don't know. The house we live in just does not matter. Paul says, please, by the grace given me, I say to you, use the measuring stick of faith and faith alone. Have your mind renewed at least to this extent that you see us all as sinners, all as received mercy, all equal in this body. That includes you. And that includes that person. Often for us there is a that person in church, isn't there? That we struggle to apply this to as a sinner who's received mercy, just as we have. We're all equal. If I'm a member of a body's first ramification, we're all equal. Second ramification, we're all interdependent. For how does verse 5 finish? I just want you to see this for yourself. This is striking. Verse 5, it finishes, each member belongs to all the others. 
Now, with your own physical body, that is obvious, isn't it? Um, think of the absurdity of, of one of your kidneys. Say, I'm actually a bit vague on biology, but I'm hoping this is right. Imagine one of the, the absurdity of one of your kidneys as the, as the blood comes in, thinking, it's mine. I'm going to keep it. Thank you very much. Or thinking, I'm my own organ. What say should the rest of the body have over my decisions? Of course that's absurd, because a kidney relies on the body, and the body relies on the kidney. They live and die together. And a, what should we say, a joined-up approach to life is essential for either to flourish. Do you realize that if you are a Christian, you are to just the same extent interdependent on all saints? If you have good news, so does your church. You should share it. If you have burdens, so do they. You've got to let them help. If you have a family, so do they. That's why in my church uh, uh, I teach my kids to call everyone auntie or uncle because I want everyone to feel that my kids are their kids to some extent, particularly when it comes to me asking for babysitting. Um, <laughs> it's why church is such a great place for single parents to be because we're, in, we're together bringing up kids. Uh, if you have a car, or house. Well, thank you very much. So does your church family. Um, this is why Jesus says, doesn't he, in Mark chapter 10, um, he could promise that anyone who leaves a home to follow him will get a hundred homes in this life. How does that happen? Well, it happens through a church family, doesn't it? If you have knowledge, that also rightfully belongs to them all. If a Christian thinks they know something that could strengthen another believer or their service, they need really good reasons not to share that information with someone and, and build them up, don't they? Because if they don't do that, the whole body suffers. That's quite a selfish thing to do. If you have a decision to make, that decision is the church's also. It affects them. You may not realize it, but it does. And so you should consider how to let them affect it. wonder how you feel about that. After all, your mistakes will also be theirs. They all must live with them. That's how a body works, isn't it? The whole body feels the pain. And on and on we may go. Now, I hope you see that there is something very beautiful about this. See, what it's saying to me, as um, the pastor of St. Philemon's in, in Toxteth, is that um, if I have a problem, the moment I become a Christian, if I have a problem, I know it's no longer I has the problem. We have that problem. There are all these people who care, who want to help. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? They, even if they were just narrowly very selfish, they should be very incentivized to help me with my problem because it will affect them in the end. Do you see? That's how a body works. But I think we need to recognize also that this is deeply challenging to the way we naturally think. We are much more individualistic. And once we become Christians, it will take time for God to renew our minds to be more body conscious so that when we say, I belong to, to all saints, that isn't just a figure of speech. But that I actually think, I, myself, my time, my money, my family, my struggles, my sins, my doubts, 
belong to all of us. Let's apply this body consciousness to a few things that people might say about church. I should say, I've not not heard any of you say this. I'm completely shooting into the dark. But I have heard many people say this in other places. Someone says, you don't have to go to church, you know, to be a Christian. Well, that's true. Just as a kidney doesn't have to be in a body to be a kidney. But you've got to ask yourself how healthy and useful a kidney is so long as it is outside a body. Someone says, I'm not getting what I need in this church. I want to go to another. Imagine if your heart felt that way. The truth is that organs can nowadays be transplanted from one body to another, but it is a risky operation, and doctors perform it as rarely as possible. And likewise, Christians, of course, may move from one church to another, but the ones who move because they don't think the old one was good enough often find that instinct resurfacing. And we probably all know serial church hoppers who last only two to three years anywhere before moving on because nowhere is good enough. And there is, of course, a great deal of scar tissue and loss of organ function as a result. Someone says, yeah, but the, uh, the thing about this church is that they aren't very... Stop you right there. You aren't very. Think how it would help us all if every time, every time we spoke about church, even about groups and church, we spoke of we, not they. Someone says, the trouble is that um, people here are very different from me. In fact, I don't think there is anyone in this church who is quite like me for me to relate to. Imagine if your nose said that. I want to be in another body where there are more noses. In fact, it's being the only nose that makes your nose so useful, isn't it? Of course there's no one like you. God makes us all uniquely. Someone says, I'm not being served very well. In a physical, let's deal with this one for a minute. In a physical body, I ask myself, without really knowing the answer, how much awareness does the finger have of all the work that goes on by other bits of the body to enable that finger to stay alive? Does the finger really know what the liver is doing or the kidneys are doing? I I guess not. I don't really know. Doctors can set me straight later on. I think that is certainly true in a church. Um, The moment we start asking ourselves whether other Christians are doing enough for us, we will never be happy again in our church until we stop asking that question. Because honestly, we have no idea, do we really, how other people are praying for us, how they're preparing the Bible to teach to us, they're opening up. We're very good at seeing our, our own little world, but not much beyond that. That's the nature of being in a body. Of course we're more aware of our service than other people's. Someone says, um, I'll attend church, but I don't want to be committed to the people of church. Well, you take a turn now. Think in your head. What would you say? How would you apply this principle of I am a member of a body to that way of thinking? What would you say? People say that, don't they? Someone says, well, I I go to this one particular church on a a Sunday, but my real service is done. My real counsel is found. My real friendships are maintained 
outside of it with other Christians elsewhere who I've met over the years. And, you know, to be honest, I'm fine with that kind of division. Again, as the Spirit renews our mind to see things as God sees them, what would you say to that? seems to me that it is a very long job that God has to do on us by his spirit to renew our minds in this first most basic thing he wants to get across if we are to worship him, which is that I am a member of a body. If I'm a member of a body, first ramification, we're all equal. Second ramification, we're all interdependent. Can you get your head around that? Final ramification, then I'm done. If I'm a member of a body, then we're all unique. Just as a body has different members and they don't all have the same function, so church consists of great diversity. We're all equal, but we're not all the same. And we're not to use our differences to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but we are to use our differences. In fact, we're to use them for all we're worth. That's what verses 6 to 8, I think, are saying. Can you see it with me? We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Every Christian has at least one gift he can use to build up other believers. In fact, I think we probably have dozens. I mean, I love one example there, which is um, this gift of showing mercy. You get what that's saying, don't you? That particular gift comes in the form of someone wronging you. (laughs) Oh, great. I've just been given a spiritual gift. (laughs) The opportunity to show mercy. Well... Do it cheerfully. I think what we have here is just a list of some gifts. Fairly random list, I suspect, in no particular order. The point that Paul is making is, given that you are a member of a body, find what you're good at and do it for all your worth. Find what you're good at and do it for all your worth. Let's break that down. So find what you're good at. That will actually take you a bit of time to work through thoughtfully. It will, I suggest, be a function of a a complicated range of factors. Your gifts, your experiences, your opportunities right now, your desires and where the gospel has helped you most and given you a story which you can use to help other people. I've traveled a journey, I can help you travel it also. If you want to think more on that, then... um, Uh, Well, actually what we do in our church is we we give people a little booklet for them to work through at their leisure, just by themselves or with friends they trust, asking questions, working through those different things I just mentioned. Perhaps you do something similar. Um, um, If you're interested in seeing us, I'd be happy to send you a link to it. But um, uh, we do it about once a year. We we reckon you don't want to be asking these questions all the time. That kind of navel-gazing brings paralysis. But our lives do change. With every year, we have more or different things to offer the Lord. And we all need to have a vision of what he is calling us to in his service. 
that feels to us like it's a real vision because otherwise we're just going to come up with our own, aren't we? And it will be smaller. And what he wants to do is to help us find our place in his great mission of making disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to find what we're good at and then we need to do it for all we are worth. And perhaps it strikes us as strange that unity in a body is achieved by the exercise of its diversity. But think of a human body for a moment. And let's say your goal is to get this, uh, like, uh, this uh, human body to be uh, moving as fast as it can. What needs to happen? Well, the heart needs to pump for all it's worth. The lungs need to work for all their worth. The legs need to stride for all their worth, and so on and so on. And it is as each part does its bits. Listen carefully, not worrying about whether every other bit is doing their bits and not trying to do other parts of the body's jobs for them, but as each bit does its bit in diversity that the body as one moves fast. And so we all of us need a vision for our own service. We define what we're good at and do it for all we're worth for the good of others, I might add. Um, We don't do it because... We enjoy it, although we will find deep joy in serving the Lord Jesus. And we don't do it independently of others without their consent and agreement. You know the the old story of uh, the scoutmaster who asked his boys, have you done your good deed for the day? And they said, "Uh, yes, we took an old lady across the street. And he said, that's great, but um, why did it take three of you? And they answered, because you didn't want to go. No, would it... Would they do it, you know, for their good, not as an exercise of self-fulfillment? And in our service of one another, we are therefore to submit to one another, and that's why, no doubt, at All Saints, you have a PCC, you have um, uh, leaders and ministry teams and so on, to try to counter our natural propensities towards pride and independence. But please know that because we are all different, if we can learn to use our differences as God would have us, each body, each local church can move fast and do much good and bring God great glory because we are one body with many parts. And I think sometimes I need to tell myself that and pastor myself with that truth. And say, the things that sometimes make me feel like an outlier in my church, if I can use the measure of faith so I don't get proud and judgmental, but if I can be comfortable with that idea that I'm a bit different, I can do a lot of good in this church. And I mention that to you in case that might be helpful for you. Just as we close... Do we see where God has taken us so far in this chapter? We start with the question, how can I worship God with all my life? And we end with the question, how can I better be a member of my church? Is that interesting to you? Worship of God means in practice interdependence in his body. Faith in God means in practice love for his people. And it's that love to which we'll turn in the next talk.
Shall I pray? You pray? pray. Oh, let me pray. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our Heavenly Father, we recognize that we live in a world that is characterized by people being full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, where they are insolent, arrogant, and boastful, where they disobey their parents, where there is no fidelity, no love, no mercy, and we shudder. Father, we don't want to be conformed to that world by the proud independence that causes it. We don't want to be people who can't trust you and can't trust others. We pray that by your grace you would be working in us that kind of trust in you that rejoices to be in the body that you have put us in. The trust that you've made no mistakes in putting us in this body or other people in this body and that you're up to something good. We do pray, of course, for, for changed lives as we relate to one another, but we pray most simply for this changed mindset that we would start to think really counterculturally by thinking corporately. Please help us. We can't do this unless your spirit works powerfully in us as your word gets to grip with us. Please help us for your name's sake. Amen. <laughs>